First Peter chapter one and verse number fifteen. If you have that, say amen. 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 First Peter one and fifteen. It's just a few pages after where we were just at in Hebrews. First Peter chapter one and verse fifteen. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, verse 16, Be ye holy, for I am holy. But as he which hath called you is holy, Amen. God is calling this people today to a higher level of living. Amen. To a greater understanding and a greater awareness and a greater sensitivity to the word of God and the things of God. And that one that is calling this church today, that one that has called you and I out of darkness into his marvelous light. That one, that God, that God of heaven, he is a holy God. Amen. Amen. And because his nature, his uh, characteristics, his, uh, the way that he reveals himself is a holy God. He requires us to be holy like he is holy. It says, be ye holy for I am holy. And I didn't have this one in my notes, but there's a scripture in the word of the Lord. And before I read that scripture, quote that scripture. Amen. I'm thinking back to last week when we when Brother Walmer stood behind this this pulpit and began to ask the congregation to give some things that they were thankful for. How many remember that? What things were you thankful for? We began to say all of the things that God was in our lives and we began to. Uh, say, I think uh, Brother Paul might have said that he's love. God is love. And if you were to ask someone on the street, what is one thing that symbolizes the Lord or typifies him? What is one thing that describes him? Many of us, many people in this world would say he's love. And that's true. Very true. And very, very powerful. Because he is not just full of love, but he is the personification of love. He is love revealed to us. But nowhere in the scriptures, and and I'm focusing on that word love for a few moments here. Nowhere in the scriptures does the Bible describe God and say love, love, love. God is love. And God is love. But when it comes to holiness... And God being holy, there are verses in the Bible where it lets us know how the angels interact with God. And when the angels of the Lord interact with the Lord, they say, holy, holy, holy art thou, Lord God Almighty, which was and which is and is to come. It shows the uh, emphaticness. It shows that God is emphatically holy. It is his nature. It is his essence. It is who he is. Even more than God is love. And that's a very powerful uh, verse of the Bible and scripture. But even more more in depth to know who God is. It is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the angels declare emphatically uh, and repetitiously over and over how that God is holy. Holy, And if we are to know him for ourselves, we've got to know that God is a holy God. That God's uh, nature, his essence, his being is that he is holy. Yes. Yes, he's love and yes, he's gracious 
and He's merciful, He's forgiving, and He's long-suffering, and all of those things. And I'm so thankful to God that He is long-suffering to me. I'm so thankful to God that He's faithful when I was unfaithful. Amen. But more important and more emphatically, the Scriptures call out that He's holy, holy, holy. And if the angels recognize that characteristic of God, then I've got to be one that recognizes that he is holy. Amen. After these series of lessons, or even at least today, amen, it is my goal that you should be able to understand and to defend the biblical principles of holiness using scripture and even historical facts today. It's my goal that you should be able after today to be able to debate the false teaching that an outward standard of holiness is not required by God. Clarifying truth using knowledge of the New Testament roots of such teaching. In other words, you should be able to understand and to know from this point forward after this teaching today that uh, actually uh, holiness is not just inward, but it is outward. It's outward and it's inward. It's both. You should be able to define godly holiness. And what that means and what uh, that looks like and, and, and you, uh, being able to more properly understand it. It is my goal that you would be able to properly explain the two components of true holiness. There's two sides of it. Holiness has two sides to it. And the first side is separation from the world. That's saying everything that's in this world that is not of God, I'm going to separate myself from it. But I'm not just going to be withdrawing from everything in this world. Because if, if that is all that you understand about holiness, you have people like the Amish community that they're off in some, uh, some countryside and they have no communication with technology in the world and, and they're, they're isolated. That's not what God wants us to be. But So God doesn't just stop there and say you need to be separate from the world. But God says in order to truly be holy, you've got to separate from the world. But you've got to also dedicate yourself to God. There's got to be a side to us that we say I'm not just going to stop living the way I used to live. But I'm going to also build upon that. And I'm going to draw closer to God. I'm going to seek Him in prayer. I'm going to seek Him in fasting. I'm going to seek Him in reading His Word and going to church and being faithful in, my, in, the, in the things that I know to do. I'm going to be holy. And hopefully you're able to explain the process of sanctification. Discuss the spiritual battle involved in that process. These are a lot of things I'm going to be giving you this morning. Amen. So I hope that you will pay special attention. Uh, we're going to explore the nature of genuine internal holiness. Understand how it is developed and how it will impact an individual's appearance and conduct. And finally conclude, it's my goal that you'll be able to conclude that holiness is an absolute attribute of God's nature. And it is therefore an absolute requirement for Christians, for God's people. Amen. This study is going to deal with the foundational issue of the apostolic faith. These are some bedrock things that we, we believe as Apostolic New Testament believers. These are some these are some foundational truths. These are some things that are going to help you to be a tree that's planted by the water, not a weed that's popped up, amen, just in the middle of the road, amen, that's going to be run over by the next uh, thing that comes your way. Yeah. But if we get these foundational things, 
Amen. It's going to be something that helps to anchor you and you understand who you are in God and, and what we believe and who we are. And we first got to understand who he who, who he is. Does the Holy Ghost affect the outward actions and appearances of the vessel in whom he chooses to dwell? That's a question that many people have asked. And many people have even debated it in Christendom and in the church world. Uh, does the Holy Ghost, uh, does it affect the outward actions and appearances, how we dress and how we live and how we conduct ourselves? Or, or is it just this inward thing that God does in a person's life? But I, I want to ask you, does that inward Holy Ghost that God gave you, does it ever at any point in your walk with God get on the outside and begin to reflect to the world around you, amen, that, that yes, this is a vessel that God is inhabiting and, and this is a marked person, amen, for the glory of God. And when people look in your life, do they see an apostolic believer? Or do you look and talk and dress and sound, amen, like everybody else in this world? Do the standards of conduct and appearance given in Scripture apply to us today? Do the standards of conduct and appearance that are given in Scripture apply to us today? These are things that people have asked the question before. Or should we discard them in favor of a lifestyle that is less conspicuous? In favor of a lifestyle that's more uh, of the, uh, I think it's called a chameleon. Is that what it's called? That that creature that, say again? It changes colors and adapts. And, and wherever that chameleon is, uh, that, that reptile, it blends right in. It just looks like everything else. And it, it, it just... It just is always blending in. Should we discard the the, the standards and the of conduct in Scripture uh, for a lifestyle that is less conspicuous and less offensive to modern society? I've never seen it in, in more than in this current day in which we live. And I'm not been around a long time. Amen. Uh, I'm 37 years of age, uh, but I've never seen it in, in my 37 years where uh, people make such a big deal about conformity uh, and conforming to the standards of society and, and, and groupthink is so prevalent in this world today. And, and how dare you say that you're against uh, this because it's in the scriptures when you're not being inclusive and you're being offensive and you're not being politically correct in this world, amen, will want to put its, uh, will put pressure upon this church and upon you and, and your family and my family to conform and to be exactly the way that everybody else is. Right. Why do you still go to church on Sunday morning when you need to be going to the ball games? Why do you why do you have to go to on outreach on Saturday and all of these things when the world is saying you need to do this and this? You need to enjoy life. It's it's so short. And we agree that life is short, but the way in which we approach life, it, it varies differently and vastly different from everything else around us. And first of all, in, in beginning this lesson this morning, we will establish that holiness is indeed a foundational issue of the apostolic faith by reviewing some historical facts. There are some historical facts that help to give us a better understanding. There is in the scripture, if you have read your Bible in the book of Revelation, amen, how many remember hearing about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? Raise your hand. 
in the book of Revelation. If you haven't, that's okay. We're going to talk about it. There's a uh, there's uh, a reference in the book of Revelation to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And I will tell you in, in complete honesty and transparency, I didn't know what it was until I began to research and study for this lesson this morning. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans. It was not a good doctrine, just so you know uh, from, the, from the very onset of this uh, today. It was not a good thing. It was not something that we should subscribe to. Uh, but it was something that the Lord himself condemned in Scripture in the book of Revelation. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans is in reference to a person that is named Nicholas. A proselyte of Antioch or a convert of Antioch. And he was one of the first seven church deacons that was chosen to look after the business matters of the early church. We see this in the book of Acts chapters, chapter 6 verses 3 through 5. Amen. He was uh, given that responsibility to look after the business matters of the early church or the church in the book of Acts. Nicholas. Amen. Back then they probably called him Brother Nicholas or however they referred to him. Today we, we refer to people that have been born again of the water and spirit as brother and sister implying that we are a family. And we make a big deal about it. Amen. I may correct one of you and say, you know what, that's not uh, Gina to you, that's Sister Gina. Or that's not Paul to you, that's Brother Paul. We are a family. Amen. But I digress. However, this Brother Nicholas, his dedication to the apostolic message was short-lived. Nicholas came to church and he showed probably some, uh, some potential that they could use him. He understood business. And he was on fire for God, no, no doubt. And, and he began to get involved in the, in the church and began to be over the business matters. But his, his dedication to it was very short-lived. Amen. He was, uh, as they call you in the, in, the, in the work world, a short-timer. Anybody ever been called that? I've been called that a couple of times. A short-timer. It means you're there for a little bit and you, you take off. Amen. Seeking the next promotion. Our brother Lorenzo, that was me. Amen. Every it was the blessing of the Lord. Amen. Every few months, Amen. God was blessing me to be promoted, and I was going on to another department. They said, "Hey, short timer." That was that was this brother Nicholas here. He was he was a short timer, and according to early writings on heresy, Nicholas eventually backslid. He fell away from God and introduced the doctrine of the Nicolaitans to the church, even though he backslid. He wanted to keep. Uh, his ideologies and his concepts of what things ought to be. He wanted to interject that into the church and it took hold in the church. His doctrine became known, uh, came about as a knee-jerk reaction to the legalism of the Judaizers. It abused Paul's doctrine of the grace of God and it introduced a false teaching about freedom into the church. These are things where people, they begin to look at uh, the standards and the different things that we believe and we practice, practice in the church and they say that uh, I'm under the law of liberty and I can do whatever I please. Yeah. Whatever I feel to do, I'm under the law of liberty. Anybody ever heard that? And so you don't have to tell me what to do because I'm under that new law of liberty. And this doctrine of the Nicolaitans began to abuse that. Uh, and the grace of God and begin to say it's uh, the grace of God is the unmerited favor of God. And that is a textbook definition of the grace of God. It's something that you and I don't deserve, but God gives us grace 
Amen. But grace is deeper than just unmerited favor. It is the power of God to do the will of God in your life. The grace of God. The Bible says that great grace was upon the people. Amen. There was great power upon the people of God to do the will of God and the things that God was wanting his people to do. And so Nicholas came along and he began to abuse the grace of God and the the teaching about the freedom in the church. And and Nicholas and his followers, they erred in combating one extreme teaching with another extreme teaching. They looked at the the teaching and they they saw uh, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, and they realized, you know what, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they made such a big deal, you can't even pick up sticks on the Sabbath day. And they, they saw that, you know, you can't even uh, get your, your animal out of the pit that it fell in on the Sabbath day because that's work. And they begin to take things to the extreme. And you can't, you can't do this. And you can't uh, drink that particular thing. Or you can't touch this uh, because uh, of all these things. And they made up rules and rules upon rules. And, and people were walking on the eggshells. And, and that was one extreme. But Nick, Brother Nicholas introduced a new extreme teaching. He said, we're not going to be as extreme as those people. And instead of having a middle ground, we're going to go to the opposite. And you can do whatever you want to do. And God accepts you. And the grace of God is there. And grace never runs out. And, and, and you know what? Uh, there's freedom. And we're under the law of liberty. We ain't got to be bound by those laws. And the, he, Nicholas went from one extreme to another. And we mentioned it a few moments ago in the book of Revelation, John. John the Revelator compared the Nicolaitans to the false prophet Balaam in the Old Testament who cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Balaam was a prophet of the Lord that was used by God. And Balaam... uh, if when he spoke, things happened because God has his hand and God's anointing was upon Balaam. And so the false, uh, the other kingdoms in the world, they recognize uh, if we want to see the defeat, if we want to see the people of God defeated, then we've got to have the prophet Balaam on our side. Because when he speaks, things happen and we need to have Balaam come and curse the people of God. And Balaam tried so hard because he wanted that money so bad. If I'll just do this, if I'll sell myself out to, the, to this world, then I can be blessed. And then I can have more money than what I have right now. Not understanding that the Lord was his reward. That was the order that God had set for the priesthood uh, of God's people. But, but Balaam said, if I, can, if I can curse God's people, then I, can, then I can have some financial reward. And so Balaam went out and he began to try his best to curse God's people. And God wouldn't, he just couldn't do it. He realized, I cannot curse God's people. And it happened because, because they're right with God. And everything's going right in their lives. And they're pleasing God. But Balaam began to think about, he began to meditate upon, how can I get uh, to the place where I can effectively curse God's people? And God will back up my words. And so Balaam began to sit back and he began to think and he began to reason. And that king was speaking in his ear, you need to curse them, you need to curse them, you need to curse them. He said, you know what? I know we can do, King. If we can get their young men mixing with our young women. If we can get them to begin to dabble in the things of the world, 
if we can begin to get them to look like the world, to dress like the world, if we can begin to get in their hearts and begin to cause them to look at the things that the world's looking at and begin to dress like the world and begin to intermingle with the world and begin to uh, have not just rub shoulders, but get in the midst of the people, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the heathen nations. If, King, we can do that. I believe that if, if then I'll curse God's people, that God will back me up. And so Balaam said, you know what, King, what we need to do is we need to cause the young men to get with the young women of the world. We need to cause the, uh, the, the people of God to, to intermingle with the people of the world and to, and to do the things that they're doing. And that is what exactly happened because at the point in time that it happened, amen, Balaam began to, began to uh, curse God's people. And he, and, and it, but you see, he couldn't curse them unless they were intermingling. They were taking the practices of the world. It matters how you live. Yes. And when you live holy unto God, when you live separate to the Lord, amen, no matter how much the devil tries to destroy you or tries to throw you off course, but you're living for God and you're living holy, there is a hedge of protection that is around your life. And the devil can't come within 25 feet. He can't come within 100 yards, whatever the measurement is, because God's hand is upon his people when his people are living righteously and they're living holy unto God. And the same spirit, the same spirit that was behind Brother Nicholas' doctrine or the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which he based on Greek dualism, he declared that Christians, since they were sinners saved by grace, could live like the world on the outside. On the outside. Everything that you're looking at. The doctor of the Nicolaitans stated you could, you could look like the world on the outside. Just so long as on the inside you remain saved. You can do whatever you want on the outside. But if on the inside your heart's right and they got a good heart. You're going to be okay. I, I've heard that so much in my lifetime. I've heard that so much in my lifetime. You know what? God knows my heart. He does know your heart. He knows my heart too. He knows that the heart is desperately wicked and evil. Who can know it? He knows that. And that's why he said, you know, we're not just going to, it's not just, uh, it is a matter of the heart, but you know what's on the inside is going to reflect on the outside. If if you look at a person, amen, that is uh, uh, dealing with, Different internal issues of bitterness and hatred and strife. Amen. You begin to talk to them and it's not long before you begin to see what's on the inside. It's coming on the, It's coming through their lips. It's coming through their mouth. And they've got that expression upon their face. And you can tell when someone's troubled. You can tell when someone's angry because you see it on their faces. You can tell when someone's stressed out because you see the way that they act and behave. And everything that's going on on the inside, we may try to cover it up. We may try to disguise it. We may try to say, well, you know what? I'm just going to go incognito and no one's going to know what's happening. But people see your life and they recognize there's something amiss in that person's life. But God knew that same thing. And God said, if I'll take care of the heart, then it will reflect on the outside just like everything else in this world and it's not just an inward work amen but it's something that God wants to do on the outside yes it's the work that God wants to reveal to the world he said don't just take your candle and hide it under a bushel if this was a candle I would go like this as a bushel 
What good did this candle do if I just hide it up like this? If this, as this as a microphone, what good does it do if I talk like this? You can barely hear what I'm saying if you were farther away. Because I'm covering up all, all the microphone, all the, all the different things. But if you allow the word of God to work in your life, and it begins to reveal itself on the outside. People look, and, and you can be like I was just a, some months ago, amen, at a gas station. I looked across, and my eyes went directly to the Pentecostal woman I had. I saw that. I said, wow, there's a, there's a Pentecostal just like me. Because I looked, and on the outside, I saw that long dress. I saw that, I saw that hair that was uncut. I, I saw that modest apparel, and, and I saw that shamefacedness, uh, that look of sobriety on her face. And I said, yeah. now that's someone different right there. Because you can look and you can scan this world and this world is scanning, amen, this premises, this world is scanning this world and they're looking for somebody that stands out, someone that's truly different, somebody that's got the mark of God upon their life. And God wants this church to be that way. There were many people I worked with, my, one, of my first year, my, one of my first jobs out of college. And I met some really nice people, incredible professionals, great people. I thought, man, that's just a great person. And I came to find out later, you're talking, oh, they go to church. I didn't know that from the first time I looked at them. Except talking to them. Well, that's well and good. Amen. God wants us to stand out. Doesn't want us to be conspicuous Christians. Doesn't want us to be undercover. Under, how do they say it? Undercover brothers. You ever heard that phrase? He's an undercover brother. Can't tell until you talk to him. Yeah, hey, he, right. he knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. He's undercover. No, that's not what God wants us to right. be. Doesn't want us to be chameleons. Christian chameleons. Just blend in. But he wants us to stand out. Amen. Arguably, the teaching of the Nicolaitans would later be the basis of the doctrine of eternal security. Once saved, always saved. If that was the case, I wouldn't be here exactly. Hey, I got this back in 2002, whatever year it was. I I got this a long time ago. See you guys on the streets of gold. <laughs> Just we'll see you around. Wouldn't that be wouldn't that be something? But that's not the way the word of God teaches us. That's why we come back again and again. To become more like him. To to find out more about what God is like. Oh, I didn't know that God was like that. Yeah, that's how God is. Okay, then I need to be like that. And I'm Continually striving to be more like him. Continually striving to be more like God. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans was a basis of of the doctrine of eternal security. And even the practice of the confessional. Confessing to a priest while living in sin. The ideology, the the theology, uh, the practice of the confessional. That you can just... Confess your sins to a man and then you can go out and live exactly how you want to live. Because, hey, I got it. I'm once saved. God's taking care of that sin problem. I'm going to trust in his grace to see me through. I can live however I want to live. 
And, you know, we may talk about this this morning and say, yeah, you know, those people, they're wrong. They're wrong. We're right. They're wrong. But can I challenge somebody today? And I, I can say it like this. I wonder if we practice that on a smaller scale. We may not believe in once saved, always saved, but we believe in, you know what? As long as I come once a week to make sure everything's good, God will see me through to Sunday. And we can go Sunday to Sunday. And there's no prayer. There's no living for God. We're just trusting God to get us through the next Sunday. When God is saying, you know what? I want it to be a daily thing. I want it to be where you come service after service and you see my face again. And you say, oh, I love you, God. I want to be more like you. The more that I stop and I look into my daughter's face and we're all, every parent is the most biased parent. I got it. Our children are the best this world's ever seen. But the more I look into her face, the more I'm reminded of the blessings of God. If, if I went day after day and uh, I didn't see her, I'd, you know, after a while, you, it, it, it would, I don't know what it would be like, but I imagine it would cause great pain uh, that you couldn't even begin to describe. But you begin to, after a while, forget, you know what, I don't even remember what that person looks like. And you begin to detach yourself from that person. And as we come to church and we we hear and we feel and we see God's presence and and we see his face and we feel the touch of the Holy Ghost. We're reminded again. That's why I fell in love with him in the beginning. Yes. That's why I gave my heart to him. Was because I remember. I remember and I looked, at, I looked into my daughter's face just last night. Laying in bed. I looked into her face and I, and I was thinking. I'm so thankful because I remember before she came. I wanted a child. I wanted it. I couldn't have it for so long. But I'm so thankful. And as we come to church and we have an altar call and we come to the altar and we we looking up, our eyes are closed, we've got our mind upon him, our hands are uplifted, and we're we're seeing his face. And we're saying, God, that's right. I remember what you what you're like to me, God. I remember who you are in my life. And God, as I'm seeing your face, I want to be more like you. I want to be that man that you want me to be, God. And as we're down in an altar or we're lifting up our hands and we're worshiping the Lord and we're seeing his face again and we're seeing, that's right, it it is holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And we're seeing, you know what, God, you are holy, God. And as you're in his presence and as you're seeking his face, amen, you're seeing him as he is. And it's reminding you of your life and the adjustments that you need to make. And it's reminding you of the blessings of God. And you see his face and you realize, I've got to be what he wants me to be. I'm not where I need to be just yet. I've got to go a little bit further in living for God. Every time I get to praying, Brother Lorenzo, I'm reminded, I'm not where I need to be yet. I got a long ways to go. But if I'll keep coming back, if I'll keep seeking his face, then that God that is holy, 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 amen, one day I'll be holy like he's holy. And God will help to perfect my life in the beauty of holiness. And when someone looks at my life, they will see an invisible representation of an invisible God. It doesn't mean that I'm God. Amen. I don't believe in that. 
never looks at a life, amen, of the brother Paul Camarita that's been in God's presence, amen, they'll see what Jesus looks like in personal form. They'll see what Jesus looks like. They'll see the behavior, the attitude, the mindset, the heart of Jesus when they're looking at it, brother Paul or whoever else it is in this church that says, I want to be like him. I want to be like him. I want what he wants. And I hate what he hates. And I want to make the necessary adjustments. I want to conform to his will. I don't want to do my own thing. The person, the man, the woman that says, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do it my way is a very immature person. It's like some of us men that we we buy a new uh, thing off from Amazon and, and it comes with instructions and we throw the instructions away. I don't need instructions. I think I can figure out. Those are small screws. Those are big screws. and I can kind of figure it out. And we struggle for hours and we're missing pieces and we've got the wrong. We've taken some out. We strip something and we make a mess. But having the word of God and saying, okay, God, I want to do what you want me to do. What are the instructions? What are the uh, what are the Requirements. What are the guidelines for me? How do I need to live my life that I might please you? I'm going to just take a few more minutes here and then we're going to wrap up this morning. Uh, but this doctrine of the Nicolaitans, his teaching required that no outward or inward change. Since his teaching required no outward or inward change, he and his followers attracted a large number of converts, both from the pagan religions and from a lukewarm church. In other words, the doctor of the Nicolaitans said, you can just keep living like you're living. Just come to our church. You're okay. We're going to pronounce blessings upon your life. You don't have to make any changes. The doctor of the Nicolaitans said, stay like you are, but just come to our church and make sure you're given that money. That's what the doctor of the Nicolaitans was. He, it taught that the externals of holiness were not important And God, however, had a different opinion because twice in Revelation, God said that he hated the doctrine, the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And if God hated it in Revelation, I'm going to tell you, he still hates it today. There's something that God hates and it's he hates when people say, you know, what, I ain't got to change on the outside. As long as I have a heart after God. And my inside is good. And I'm basically a good person. I'm okay with God. In his uh, brilliant work that's called Against Heresies, the early church theologian Irenaeus uh, in A.D. 125 uh, let us know how far this worldliness eventually reached. It said the the Nicolaitans are the followers of that Nicholas who was one of the first seven ordained deacons. Uh, by the apostles, and they led lives of unrestrained indulgence. What that is saying is another theologian at the same time described the the followers and the the group that the Nicolaitans uh, led, and they described the Nicolaitans as the ultimate uh, end of them was they just led lives of unrestrained indulgence. They did whatever they wanted to do. It started out, you know what, God knows the heart. But it ended up, they just did whatever they wanted to do. That's where it led them. An outward standard of holiness was the first thing to go in the great falling away of the latter first century. 
the standard of holiness, the outward standard of holiness was the first thing to go in the great falling away of the latter first century. But the tide of change did not stop there. The drifting away from holiness was soon followed by, uh, by a uh, for, foregoing of real repentance and, and a foregoing of water baptism in Jesus' name and a foregoing of speaking in tongues and a foregoing of the gifts of the Spirit and a foregoing of the doctrine of the oneness of God. You say, does it matter? Yes, it matters. Amen. When the, uh, I believe it's the Apostle Paul described the armor of God, he began to go down the list. That you put on the whole armor of God. The helmet of salvation. The sword of the spirit. The shield of faith. The breastplate of righteousness. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And what's the other one? Your loins. Gird about with truth. Your loins. Gird, that's this belt right here that I'm holding. That's this belt. You let go of holiness. You let go of that belt. It's all falling apart. And we're not going to describe that. It's all falling apart. You let go of that thing that holds you together. I, I got ready. The last thing I put on was my belt. Many times. It's a belt. Okay, let's get this nice and tight. Let's hold this together. And we put on that belt. It's important. Holiness. Truth. It's important. Yes. It, Binds it together, holds it together. Without it, it it just gets sloppy. It just gets unkept. That's not what God wants. And I'll finish with saying a few more things here this morning. Uh, As the elder apostles died, one by one, leaders with a smaller vision and weaker conviction stepped in and they subtly altered their message. And only much later, as gross doctrinal errors took root in the church and propelled her into the dark ages, did it become apparent just how much the church lost when she abandoned the holiness lifestyle. Nicolaitan ideology is, is... Forever trying to rise in the church. It's forever trying to rear its ugly head among the apostolics. They are compromising the non-negotiable principles of scripture for personal convenience and for social acceptance. They are surrendering holiness because it is too burdensome and laying truth to rest in the cold grave of tolerance. Because it is too exclusive and it's too inflammatory and it offends people. And in doing, in, in adopting the false teaching, the false doctrine, the Nicolaitans, amen, they have massacred the scriptures and they have maligned the apostles and they have mortified their creator with their shoddy scholarship and their loose living. But the modern Nicolaitans should not deceive this church. We should know the damage that they have caused, that that thinking, that teaching has caused. And their freedom, the, the, the law of liberty that people misquote, is nothing more than old bondage in a new dress. Uh, just an old, another old type of bondage in a new dress. And if you observe them long enough, you will see that holiness is only the first item on their agenda of change. And history will repeat itself over and over again. But the enemy of our souls comes in and tries to say, I'm going to take out holiness. I'm going to take out this from this church. You know what? We see that in our, and I, I know I'm a little bit over time, but you know, we see that in, even in America today. 
we see people uh, under this banner of Antifa. And some months ago, I think maybe last year, uh, fairly recently, they were going throughout the country and they were taking out monuments. They were taking out, uh, they have been on this quest, liberalism has been on a quest to take out all the things that identify this nation. They took out the Ten Commandments. They take out the monuments that show the history of this nation. Because if they can take away the identity of a people, then it can infiltrate and it can conquer them. And holiness is, amen, the identification of people of God. It's the identification of God himself. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen. With that, why don't we stand to our feet? Amen. Uh, I had a lot more, and we're not going to get through it today. Amen. I I understand, amen, the uh, the sentiments of Brother Walmer here on Sunday mornings. Amen. It says, oh, just a little bit, a few more minutes. You're trying to get through so much material, so much to cover. Amen. But I, I do believe that this is going to be something that will help this church tremendously uh, in the coming weeks. Amen. As we dive into it and learn more about the Lord. Amen. Why don't we pray really quick and then we're going to take a few moments and greet one another. God, we thank you for the word, the teaching that we've heard this morning. We thank you for the help of the Holy Ghost. I pray, Lord, that you would cover our minds, cover our hearts, cover the remaining part of this service today. God, I'm asking you, Lord, to move in this place. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Ghost would have its way, Lord. You'd help us to be what you want us to be, Lord. We give you praise and glory and honor, Jesus.